stories from around the corner and around the country. You're listening to All the Best. Proudly supported by the Art Gallery of New South Wales. You're listening to All the Best from FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Madhura Prakash. Before we get into this week's stories, I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge that I'm recording from stolen Gadigal land and pay my respect to Gadigal elders past and present and also recognise that the area where FBI Radio is situated, Redfern, has long been a place of storytelling, strength, resistance and resilience for First Nations communities. Blah Mela Story is a program by Catherine Regional Arts in the Northern Territory. Its focus is enabling young Indigenous people in remote communities to produce and share audio stories with their community. All the Best is partnering with Blah Mela Story and will be playing some of the stories from the project over the next few weeks. First up this week, I speak to Tom Danks from Catherine Regional Arts, also known as K-Ray, to learn more about the program and its impacts. Catherine is about three hours south of Darwin. It's about 10,000 people, about half Indigenous, so it's a really interesting place. K-Ray gets some funding, but we go for project funding. We sort of got to, yeah, we got to find money continuously to sort of stay alive. We're really lucky in this project to get two years worth um, from the RISE Fund, which is a federal funding initiative for arts that came out of COVID-19. And basically, uh, we cre- tried to create a structure with this project to establish better infrastructure for uh, digital storytelling and sort of capture the really unique opportunities of digital storytelling uh, within remote Indigenous contexts, particularly. And then on top of that, we really wanted to um, set out a model for doing these stories in a way that had better community engagement, um, gave more ownership and more control over the stories to the people who were featuring in the stories. So that's basically the two things that we're trying to achieve. Basically, it's a ground level project. So first up, we go out to a community, work across seven different communities um, and we do outreach. So we look for young people who are looking for a more interesting uh, work opportunity. Um, we train them up. So we train them up in a little bit of photography and then audio storytelling skill sets, so interviewing and editing on Adobe and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then we'd say to them, what are the stories in community that uh, you find value in that you would like to do? They themselves as the young people in the program are saying, um, well, my favorite story is from my elder or I really want to interview my partner. Um, I think it's pretty incredible what she's been through. Um, so they're taking that ownership right from the start over what has value is um, really important. So the stories that you guys are going to hear on radio, um, it's about 50% of the stories that we actually did um, where storytellers wanted their stories to go to a broader public audience. Most of them stay with families. So that's the choice that they get to make and they can withdraw at any time. We have to take things off. So they really have a lot of control there. So at all points, I guess the like, important thing to understand is we've been trying to prioritize getting people in the door, getting those skills established over, say, audio quality or audience or anything like that that comes secondary. I love the amount of autonomy that's, you know, prioritised in the project. I think obviously that's super, super important and I'm sure that's why, you know, it makes a difference for the participants involved. Why is it important to have stories that are created and told by remote Indigenous communities in the Northern Territory? I think like in in answering that question, there's a few different hats you could put on, you know, in terms of like the positive impacts can be really simple. 
just in terms of the space that's created when storytelling takes place. Ultimately, storytelling is dignifying of people when it's done right. Um, and it's also an act of, I think, understanding our environment. Um, so in remote communities, the youth culture in particular is changing really drastically. So I think there's a really, a really good personal sort of impact for people um, in terms of having to take part in that sense-making process and putting on that lens of a storyteller on like an economic perspective, like what we put to our funding bodies, you know, we're providing fun, um, like a really interesting, flexible work opportunity um, to people in remote settings, which is pretty rare. There's not a lot of work out there, um, unfortunately. From an artistic sort of perspective, I guess, there's still this absolutely enormous gap between uh, metropolitan and remote Australia, um, even setting aside the Indigenous context, I think, um, and then adding that in. Um, me personally, coming up from Melbourne, nothing that I'd read, nothing that I'd heard had really given me any sort of a real understanding that prepared me for um, yeah, just how different culturally that that setting is. So I think traversing that distance, even though that's not the main priority of this program, like audience is not the priority, um, I think it's really important that people keep making the effort to go the 700 kilometres out to Wadair, you know, or the 400 kilometres out to Nooka um, in order to get these stories and bring them back, especially because it's such a hot topic at the moment. We've got voice and all this sort of stuff going on and I really question like how how much perspective the average Australian really has on what community life is like. Um, so it's really valuable to keep, keep breaking that down. But for us in this story, um, always coming back more to the value of for those remote Indigenous community members themselves having opportunity to engage with and dignify people from their own communities. Um, so that's the most important thing in storytelling, we believe, as a community arts development org. Kind of in that vein of, you know, the significance of this project to the storyteller themselves, um, what is the significance of story sharing for these creators that you're working with? Some of the journeys that um, so these participants have taken throughout the program. Abraham Henry, for instance, is one of the storytellers. Um, his journey was really just in his own confidence. Um, he started off, we did a little magazine interview with him um, and he was so nervous. Like we had this continuous back and forth for like months about him potentially pulling it out and, da, 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 and all this sort of stuff and found that confidence and then went on to do a much longer story in this audio format that we're doing now. And I spoke to him the other day and he's just so excited that his story is going up. What are some of the other impacts of the program on the young people involved? It's really diverse. So I think the biggest strength of what we've been doing is that flexibility and meeting people where they're at. And sometimes that's all people need. For instance, uh, one of the female participants, and we're really proud that we had a good female representation in this. We actually had more female storytellers and more female employees. But for instance, um, I won't name her, I don't think she'd be comfortable, but she's 26 years old, fully capable, really intelligent. I know her personally as a friend as well. Um, she'd never had a job, she'd never been employed at 26, but it's brought her into contact with an organisation. She's had a baby, but she's telling me that she's really comfortable now after working with us for a couple of months to sort of seek employment and we'll support her in that. You know, another person that we had um, had just suffered really severe psychosis for a couple of months and the space for him to be able to leave the house, for us to be able to uh, work with the carers um, and work with his family to provide that space for him to come into, um, that's what was really important to him. And it actually has nothing to do with storytelling to some extent, you know, but it's just a space that storytelling can provide. 
um, which doesn't come up on paper, but Vasu like working on it was always the most important aspect, you know. Um, people's involvement in the projects helps keep them out of jail at certain points. We could provide court letters. Um, we could say that we're going to engage them this many times a week. Um, we can report back on how that's going, you know. So in a lot of cases, the space itself was the most powerful thing outside of any of the activities, you know. Clearly there's been, you know, some really awesome individual impact of the program, like on the participants. What about community impact of like sharing the stories among community members and family members um, or even just like community impact of like having this program available? What do you think that would be? Um, and throughout this project, we had some really beautiful, you know, specific examples of um, cases where, for instance, like a grandfather and a grandchild, um, like a grandchild working with us, going to the grandfather and saying, just making that action of saying, hey, I think that they've asked me what the most valuable story is in our community, um, the one that I really want to hear and go through. And I've chosen your story, you know, um, that act in itself being really powerful. Um, but then elders coming out with stories that the grandkids had never heard or like, you know, um, three or aunties and a bunch of cousins sitting in it and like none of the six of them have heard it before. Um, I find that I found that to be really powerful and that would take place, you know, um, on top of that, you know, even like one we talk about different audiences, probably the most powerful audience that um, we've seen has been around. We've had a few storytellers pass away um, during the project um, and their stories being used um, at their funerals um, or afterwards with families and stuff like that. Um, I sat in on a few of these, having like made relationships with these people or whatever. Yeah, and people seeing, you know, people being surprised by stories from their own family members and laughing. And um, so that connecting factor and that dignifying factor, I think, yeah, has a really positive impact upon the sense of connection with the community overall as well. That was Tom Danks telling us all about the Blah Mella Story Project. Up next, we'll be sharing one of the stories that was produced as part of the program. In this story, Tammy and Augie share the ins and outs of card games culture in the Nuka community. A heads up for this story, there are mentions of gambling and tobacco smoking. Hi everybody, my name is Mark Daniels and I'm from Nuka community, about four hours drive from Catherine in the Northern Territory. Welcome to Blamela Story. That's Creole for It's Our Story. We call it that because these are the true stories of remote Indigenous community members, recorded and edited by young community members like myself from across six different remote communities. These stories have been recorded wherever the storytellers felt comfortable, by the river, fireside, or on the brandes of their own homes. Because of this, you'll hear some community life in the background, like dogs and kids playing, or land cruisers coming back from the bush or town. But listen carefully, because these are the real stories of our people today, our challenges and success, our wisdoms and journeys. We are proud to be able to share them with you. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy it. Hi, my name is Tammy Daniels. Uh, today we're going to tell you about card games in the community. I live in Noka most of my life, and... I've got one son, his name is Keyshawn, and my partner's name is Lee Sean. Yeah, me and my partner raise other, my cousin's kids and my sister's kids as well. It's pretty hard to find a job 
it's really hard, I tell you. But I'm still looking for a job anyway. Hello, my name is Olga Daniels. My nickname is Augie. I am 34 years old. I live in Nuka. I have one son. He's 15. His name is Dwayne. I like walking around, going for walks in the afternoon, fishing. So Nuka is in the southeast of Arnhem Land, about 300 kilometers from the nearest town, Catherine. Um, Nuka is a stone country, very hot. There are about 1,000 people in the community. If you drive in to Nuka, you'll see people walking around, Playing asking cats. for money, cents, change, um, playing cards. One more. Nuka is never boring. boring yeah. Everything happens here every day. You got a connection here, the connection with families and your home. Cultural place, mm -hmm. especially when our family passed away. That's the time we have our cultural stuff in the yard where the pe pe person passed away. Like traditional dancing and all that. It's really important to take black fell away. In me and Tammy's family, we don't have an elders now. Yeah. All our elderly passed away. But we got other elders in the family here. Everybody here living in Nuka, we're all one big family. No matter who you are, yeah. you're still classified as family. Say Nunjut Bay is the big tribe. We all, we all came out from the Nunjut Bay tree. Nunjut Bay family tree. Most of the people came from that seed. Yeah, from the Nunjut Bay seed. Nunjut Bay is a big tribe. Everybody from the one seed. You say that you're not related, but you're related to the person. Like a plant, you grow. You know when you plant a seed and it makes the roots and it grows? Mm. Yeah. So you That's came like out. the family here. One seed made the whole big family. So there's two main games we used to play. One is uh, five cut, which means we call it Burakat in Black Palaway, and one in an instant. It's mean 13 people only. The five cuts mean only eight people have to play the games. Once five cut came into Nuka. That's it. And there's, there's a big money in the middle. And, and the person in. comes in with a, uh, money, with big money, and will say, how much that price? And they count it up, divide it in two, and that's, that's the um, price you have price to go in. Gotta, that person have to go in, how much? Big fight sometime. Only when they're really desperate. Where there's people who stress for drugs or smoke or stress for money, they're the one who make the problem yeah. bigger. And then families start getting up and trying to Backing encourage the, them. Yeah, and and encourage them to go and fight. Because some people here, they like fighting, you know, and it's not worth it. But one thing I don't like about them, mental people when they come around, because when you really want to play card and win money, they're going to sit right beside you. And if you do win, not $10, not $20, oh, why are you to give it your money? <laughs> that kind of stuff. You don't need to like that. Getting angry to walk away with all my money. But the one thing about you, you walk away with your money, they still follow you. Them cranky people. You can end up swearing at them. It's, you know, it's embarrassing too. You feel hurt, sometimes you give them. Sometimes you don't like to give them. I like playing cards sometimes so I can win money and buy food or run away mattering car, Catherine. Sometimes when it's raining, you go in the house. Sometimes we've got a street slide. You go and you see a couple of rings. You know how many card games there? One, maybe two or three games there, another two and down the bottom. Under the street light, you'll see a bunch of people sitting around. 
They sitting around in a circle, but they're playing card game. It's going to be really noisy. And people will be walking up and down. Up and down. They sometimes asking families they, for money. They sell drinks, cakes at the card place. Yeah, when the shops are closed. That's and they sell um, smokes for $4 card game. That's where I find my smokes when I don't have smoke. I go down to the card game and ask my family, Ten dollar I'll buy smoke and I'll buy it Or even though when you're hungry late at night they sell hot dogs, drinks. They're at about five dollars, fifteen dollars each. That's how people survive sometimes when they don't have Power. a job or yeah. they can't support their family, they have to earn sell things, stuff. like you know, earn, like sell stuff. Sell the hot dog for ten dollars and can a drink for five dollars or then bottle drinks mm. for ten dollars. Some smoke dealers <laughs> They sell smoke for two fifty, four dollars. That's the nights. main market at night is the card place. That's Street the supermarket night. at night. Card place is the shop place. Yeah. <laughs> if the kids, the little kids start playing card. All of ages, you name it. Adult will get up and act on it. They'll say, no, you can play card. But they always go and hide themselves, them little ones, and they yeah. play card. <laughs> they yeah. gamble. Card you game are. was always part of the community life here in Macau. Especially when we have lockdown, that you see how much money. Oh, when there's um, funding coming in the community, like royalties, and they make that um, hard game. Hard game is like they throw a silver thing in the middle, like round symbol. You got to go by the rules, I mean, that trick rules, right? You have to go and look for your money and then come back and play. If you win, that's your money. You got, you're not allowed to ask anybody. It doesn't matter your family or what. But people and then the big prize, big money in the middle and that they get serious for it. They'll get really serious. They won't talk, they won't laugh and just Because they wanna win that money. They won't say anything to they won't even look up. Even when they win that bucket of money, they won't look around. They'll just count or laugh the money or talk to you. Or talk or laugh them. Just count the money, put it in the pocket and keep playing serious. People practice playing cards at home. That way they can learn how to cheat. We call it stuck a deal. Yeah. So when they go to a card game, they can do it. Like stack the card. How you cut your card and then you run it. And they know you stuck stack a deal. Yeah, it's all about luck and cheating. Yeah. But all depends <laughs> that the card that you read. They lucky charm things we use, which animal more. We call it Mundi, yeah. Yeah, we call it Mundi now. Language in Creole, we call it Mundi. That's like a lucky charm. Yeah, thing. it's like a like, lucky charm and Buddha and all that sort of stuff. And when they use and it? the other thing they use oil. They can smell your oil. You rub it in your hand or something, and then you. They get it from the Chinese shop. Yeah, up and down. They're getting brainwashed like all that. And they use um like a rock or dead animals. Like they use the thing when you go to the animal. Porcupine uh, nail. Nails, buffalo blood, something like that. King Brown, yeah. Bundy and Fat, yeah. Well, I can remember when I was young, this one old man used to um, kill the King Brown, get the fat, put it in a tobacco tin, and put it in the freezer. But if Look. that person is using that thing out where it's open, thing, King, animal, animal can come out and towards him. you, attack you, where you're playing cards. Mm -hmm. Because it, they, and everybody will know you're using that King Brown. It's all, all people. All people magic. Magic. Had, they had to do it. But these days, our generation nowadays, we use oil and Buddha, 
rub the bura or something, <laughs> anything with do with Chinese people these days with um, they lucky charm things we use with Chinese men. COVID lockdown was crazy time for yeah. card games. For card games. Because everybody could, each individual could win thousand, I mean $10,000 every night. Every night. COVID lockdown was insane, yeah. I would say. Everybody couldn't go out. It was crazy. Uh, Ford, some food couldn't get in because of the COVID. We was locked in about six months. Yeah. Outsiders was keep sneaking in with alcohol and drugs yeah. and selling it us. Selling to us, black market, yeah. on the lockdown. We That's couldn't good. go to the clinic because of the, some doctor had a COVID, so they had to send them in. Hardly food been in the shop. Really hard day. It was really hard that day. But good thing about lockdown, the money was in the community. Yes, really. One time my cousin, she won 53000 in one night. And we had twelve Because, yeah, people couldn't go out. That's why. Because everybody was getting coronavirus money. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of money going around here. Yeah. Every morning they used to put... Put 35,000 in Some 40,000. Or 40. All depends. And every day. Every, every day, day. Every single day. All the money was out on the community gambling. Because everybody would afford to go in that price. Yeah. Sometimes you spend money at the shop. Whatever money was taken out of the ATM, didn't go anywhere. It was all around the community, community. in each card, card games. There would be more card game in the community where there was lockdown. And policemen would have come around and say, hey, you're not allowed to play card, but everybody was hide and play card. Mm -hmm. They couldn't stop the people, but we couldn't. so they told us. Like black people. You have to wear. <laughs> One mm. part was funny. They told us, you have to wear a glove if you got to play card. They tried that. That didn't work. So they gave up on everybody, just everybody just... And they said they're going to give us a fine if every individual in is a fine, but nothing. One time um, in the lockdown, there was a drug dealer came in here and the person was selling $200 for a little satchel bag, like a little hook bag, $200. And for us alcohol people, they used to sell $300 or $500, $500. Big board, one liter. Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, whatever. That was not our people. That was outsiders who were sneaking in with everything. Yeah. So and they made a lot of profit during the lockdown. Well, I buy, I buy a card at the shop for $8. They're now they're, the prices are up, going up. But if um, if people are looking for a card at late at, really late at night and the card is all worn out and they ask me, tell me you got a plain card that we can buy it off you. Yeah, I've got one. I want a fifth brother. I give it out my fifth brother. And when they go and play the card, start to play the new card, they collect $50 for themselves. Before, everybody was complaining about selling cards. Yeah. Uh, they the used to make the card profit they play because they're the owner for the card. But it doesn't make any sense. I don't know. But they buy the card for 6 7 $8 or yeah. $10. They make big money out of it. That was before. But not now. But it's all changed. All the elders got together, had a meeting, and told everybody, if you're going to sell a card, you're going to get fined for it. So today, okay. they don't sell cards yeah, now. not anymore. If they want to, they can only sell a packet of cards for $50. That's it. That's it. Then nobody can report you if you're just selling a packet of cards for $50. Yeah. People will complain about you, and they will tell. 
You will be the, the target, and the elder will be confronting the person who have a silver card. Like what I do, I see them, whoever collects card, I go tell Bobby, because he's the leader of this community. Mm-hmm. And he used to go and tell the shop modern sell card or whatever. They're still not selling card at the shop because oh, yeah, somebody but... was selling cards yeah. um, recently. Yeah. And when that's going to settle, then they'll start selling cards. Uh, back, back to normal. Even mm-hmm. though you don't buy it at the shop, you buy it from someone. During the lockdown, yeah. we, I would buy a card, no, card, playing card, and sell it for 50. The person who buy that card off me will go and sell it for their own profit. $500 or $1,000 or $800 or 700 or 600 If I want to, if, if I want to play card for me, I can pay every day. But if only if I have money. If I don't have money, I will just run around or sit in a camp. Like for me, I couldn't play card because of my mother. I was at home with her. I spent time with my mother first because she really needed me at home, me and my little sister. You get richer, you get luckier, you sleep every night with money. Sometimes, Sometimes you go back empty sleep with pocket, no money, yeah. sad face, dressed out. All depends, yeah. Thinking all the time, I shouldn't have gone place money. Mm-hmm. I would say if you gamble online, or in a poker machine venue, you got no family there. Where it's better if you gamble a card game in the community yeah. where you can still, money keeps coming and going. Because you got family, right? But where the poker machine, you just put deposit, you don't get any money back unless if you win. The white right people or whoever the company owned the poker machine or online pokies, they won't give you money back. Where here, if I walk away with nothing, my family will say, hey, yeah, buy it tomorrow. I'll give you money for tomorrow or, yeah. or to have another game, another time. It's easy, yeah. So the best part about gambling is gambling in communities, community no matter. Than gambling online or yeah. in a poker machine venue in town. Mm. Thank you guys for listening to our stories, stories about card games in Nuka. Thank you to Restart Investment to Sustain and Expand Rice Fund, an Australian government initiative, and Catherine Regional Arts. That story was produced by Tammy Daniels and Olga Daniels as part of the Blamella Story Program at Catherine Regional Arts. Stories in this program were produced with the support of the Australian Federal Government's Rise Fund. Do you want to meet and get to know fellow emerging audio makers? Join the All The Best team at the Everly Hotel from 6pm on Monday, June 26 to network, share ideas and most importantly, have some fun. If you aren't local to Sydney, you can join us online the following night, Tuesday, June 27th for our winter pitch workshop and a seminar on adapting written work to audio. You'll be hearing from All The Best editorial manager, journalist and radio educator Mel Chun as well as award-winning poet Tim Loveday. Everyone is welcome. Go to allthebestradio.com to find the details. All The Best would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we make these stories and pay our respects to Elders past and present. All The Best is made at FBI Radio on Gadigal land in association with SIN and 3RRR on Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Boon lands and 8CCC on Arande and Waramungu lands. The All The Best editorial manager is Mal Chun. 
and Phoebe Adler-Ryan is our production manager. Our social media producer is Isabella Lee. Patrick McKenzie is our community coordinator. Shining Bird composed our theme music and Annie Hamilton designed the artwork. We're heard across Australia on the Community Radio Network and we're made possible by the Art Gallery of New South Wales and the Community Broadcasting Foundation. You can find our full archive of more than 500 episodes at allthebestradio.com. I'm Madhura Prakash. Thanks for listening.